Hello. Welcome to Remember When. I'm Ed Higgins, the Public Information Officer for Upper Marion Township, and I'll be your host for this television program. UMGA-TV and the Historical Society are continuing this series as an oral history project of life and community in Upper Marion Township. In their own words, we want the people who lived the history of Upper Marion Township to tell us about that history. This edition features Hunter R. Robinson. Mr. Robinson, a former township supervisor, tells us about his role in the very first Chamber of Commerce in this area and his support for the Transportation Authority and other transportation issues. Let's sit back and listen to Mr. Robinson remember when. Hunter, when did you first become involved with the uh, public affairs of Upper Marion Township? Well, I moved here in 1965 when I took a job with General Electric after I retired from the Air Force. And uh, I was doing a lot of traveling, so my participation in township affairs was rather limited. My first real participation was working for Bill Smith on his campaign and uh, got to know him and then uh, uh, he was elected obviously and Bill did a great job. Then my next involvement was a Belmont uh, two committee person and I was on that for I don't know several years and I gradually grew more and more interested in township affairs uh, both from the standpoint of the community as well as the political ramifications so that was in 1965, and uh, I worked, as I say, with Bill Smith's campaign, and I was elected supervisor, and I was asked to run with, uh, with Ralph Volpe, who's been here forever. So Ralph and myself conducted a joint campaign, and we were elected. And shortly after I was elected, I sat down in the quiet of my home and said, now what can we do for Upper Marion in the next four years? And of course, the first thing that came to my mind was we're gonna grow. And if we grow, there's two things we need. We need traffic control and movement, and we need sewer expansion. Now, how do we do that? So, the first thing that I did that I remember distinctly was the Henderson Road underpass, which now has a sign on it. I came into Bob Gerdes uh, shortly after I was elected. Bob Gerdes was the township manager at that time and had been here for years. And uh, I said, Bob, one of my primary objectives on my tour term is to get that underpass over under the tracks. He sort of laughed at me and he said, well, have at it because everybody else has told me the same thing. So Judy got the papers out, put them in the boardroom, and I, for three or four days, abstracted the complete dossier that we had on the underpass and on that railroad, which we'd had three fatalities or more. So uh, that was my number one objective. My number two objective was how are we going to deal with traffic? So we put together, and I, I want to mention that uh, 
shortly after I got on the board, Bob Geertes resigned. I don't know whether it was a cause and effect or what, but he resigned. And we went through a selection process and, uh, and uh, narrowed it down to five candidates. The board did. We had a selection committee that uh, eliminated, I guess we had about 40 or 50 applicants and they eliminated it down to 10 that they recommended. Then we got it down to five. And at that time, we, uh, Ron was, when we did the rating, Ron came out number six in the 10. Ron Wagman. So, yeah, Ron Wagman. So we decided, hey, we're, we're eliminating one of the best guys <laughs> that we feel that, that is a candidate. So we put him back on the list. So it then became the best of six. So we picked Ron, and that was the greatest choice that, that we've ever done for this township. And, uh, I think it's probably proven that we picked, quote, the right man. We put together a traffic plan, and uh, I suggested that we get an appointment with the Secretary of Transportation, who at that time was Tom Larson. And the board poo-pooed it, and they said, well, we'll never get in to see Tom Larson, a little old township like Upper Marion. So anyhow, we put together a, a real comprehensive traffic plan uh, where streets needed to be widened, where new streets be added, etc. And we realized it was a it was a township problem, not the states. But anyhow, we did get an appointment, not for 30 minutes, but it extended to an hour. And after we finished, as we were leaving, Tom Larson said to us, he said, "I want to compliment you, Ben. Since I've been Secretary of Transportation." This is the only plan that I've ever received from a municipality that shows that they are ready to deal with growth and we're ready to help you. So we came out feeling really good and they're still now using that same traffic plan that we developed in the early 80s. One of the things that comes to my mind, and it was a simple thing, we had no wage structure in the administration. Nobody knew basically whether they were getting overpaid or underpaid or doing their job because many of them didn't know what, you know, they'd just been, as a evolution, they'd taken on things and taken on things and so forth. So we did uh, install, installed an employee management system. We did desk audits on every job. We went out to industry, got comparable jobs, and other municipalities, and we took the three, and we developed our own scale. And it turned out that where some people were overpaid, some people were underpaid. But over a period of time, and it was maybe less than two or three years, we got it adjusted down to where everybody one knew their job, everybody knew they were getting paid according to what they were doing, equal pay, equal work. And that was a great innovation. The three other things that we did that was unique is after we got the, uh, the plan approved, basically, we then established the Transportation Authority. And complementary to that was the Sewer Revenue Authority. We said if you're going to move in Upper Marion, you're going to pay the freight. If you're a new business, you're going to pay for the freight. 
the traffic that you generate is going to be paid for by you, not by the township. If you don't want sewer, you buy it. We're not going to give it to you because we have to expand the facility. And we don't want to saddle the township with a, a big unpaid bond that we've got to assess the people by raising the sewer rates. So we implemented that. The other real interesting thing was the TMA, the Transportation Management Authority, which I understand now is the model for Pennsylvania. And we, uh, here again, jumped the gun. We went not to, Pennsylvania, not to Harrisburg. At that time, they didn't know what a TMA was. We went directly to Washington and invited the TMA authorities in the, in the transportation, national transportation, to come up here and assess our problem and take a look at it. Well, they did. They spent a whole day up here. We took them all around and showed them different things, etc. And uh, believe it or not, they went back and uh, approved the establishment of a TMA. And of course, after we got ours going, a few other municipalities tried the same thing. I understand most of them failed. Uh, and that was one thing we never did was fail. We always said the key word is persistency. If you bug them enough and you work on it enough, ultimately something will have to happen. And hopefully it won't be that it goes away. So that was uh, the TMA was one of our innovations. And I understand now it's a model for the state of Pennsylvania throughout the whole state. That's right. Yeah. Um, what about development that went along with the transportation? Well, the development was the implementation of the two things, the transportation plan and the sewer. Did the development cause a need for transportation, oh, or did sure. transportation allow for development? Well, it's a complementary thing, yeah. Nobody's going to establish a business when you can't get to it. You've got to have employees, and they've got to have a way to get there and get home. And... Uh, Nobody is going to put a big business on a septic tank, so they got to have sewers. So transportation flow, which includes everything, it includes public transportation, it includes traffic lights, right turn lanes, double left turn lanes, all of the conveniences to get to your work and get home. That's what brings traffic. And uh, I got a few words a little later on that, but basically, it was a chicken and the egg thing. You know, we provided the accommodations. The accommodations were attractive, and business selected us. You were working for GE. Yes. Was there a feeling that high-tech industry was the way it was going to go in Upper Marion? Yes, basically, plus commerce. You know, you can't, you can't discount what the Valley Forge, uh, the, the mall, the King of Prussia mall, you can't depreciate that contribution because that was a growing people work here they want to shop here they want to eat here so that breeds uh, a business opportunity that brings other people so things shortly after ron came and uh, we began to look at our facilities we could see that as the community grew we had to provide administrative services and you don't do that with the same number of people. You, that's going to have to innovate sure. the same as, uh, as business, etc. 
So we voted to expand the township building. There was some disagreement on that, but basically we approved it. We got good bonding, financing. We wanted to move the library from down on Town Center Road, which was a terrible location. And uh, we wanted to consolidate that library up here where people could all come to one building and get their services satisfied. So we, that was one of the things that, uh, that we felt we contributed to the board. We had a chamber here in the late 60s. Uh, it was operated out of, in the uh, Valley Forge Center. And it folded because of one competition from Norristown. They had a stronger chamber. And secondly, we didn't have great leadership and uh, a lot of industry to support a full paid uh, president. So in 1976, I guess, no, no I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. And uh, I guess it was eight, 1986. Uh, Twelve of us met over in Blaine Scott's insurance building on Church Road. And we had been discussing a chamber, that we needed a chamber. We were affiliated with the Norristown Chamber, had very little attraction to us and to any of our businesses. So Al Pasco and myself were talking about it, and then we had this open meeting. I guess there were 12 of us because they called us the 12 Disciples. <laughs> and uh, we had the Last Supper, or the First Supper, <laughs> over in Blaine's office. And uh, after discussing it, they turned to me and said, well, would you be interested in heading the, the charter president? And, you know, I had to give it some thought. At that time, I was with Jack McAllister, Century 21, doing some real estate business off and on. So I assessed it, and I said, well, you know, it's complimentary to what I'm doing, and surely I'm business-oriented. So I said, yeah, I'll take it, and uh, believe it or not, uh, they offered me uh, the, the large salary of $10,000. Of course, I didn't be in retired military. I didn't need the, uh, the uh, benefits, the health, and all of that. So anyhow, I, my objective and the chamber's objective was to try to get up to 500 members in three years and to develop a budget that would pay a full-time uh, director, executive director or president, whatever they wanted to call him, who could then devote his full time to the chamber. Well, uh, Al Paschal succeeded me, and you all know Al's track record in moving the King of Prussia in. I can recall, I know Carl uh, normally conducts these interviews, Carl Schulteis. That's right. I can remember in the, uh, I guess the early 80s when we were talking about widening 202, estimated at $42 million. <laughs> I think that took care of the traffic signs now, <laughs> or the <laughs> detour signs, $42 million. But anyhow, I went up to see Carl and uh, I, I told him, I said, Carl, you know, one of these days, the King of Prussia Inn is going to have to be moved. Well, after he screwed himself off of the wall and came back down, he said, Hunter, you got to be kidding. I said, no, it's going to happen one of these days. They're going to have to either dispose of that inn 
or have to move it. And uh, I worked on that with Carl, and he began to get somewhat agreeable to the fact it was inevitable, but he still was providing some opposition that had needed to be overcome, of which I guess he and Carl, uh, Al Pasco worked on it since then. Uh, one of the other things I'm rather proud of, uh, we chartered the first Optimist Club in 1976, and that now is the fourth largest Optimist Club in the state of Pennsylvania. And uh, they have, uh, they work, uh, obviously their, their uh, mission is working with youth. And they have the Octagon Club, the Junior Optimist, and uh, that was growing like mad when I left here. And I'm pleased to see that it now is one of the best Optimist Clubs in the state of Pennsylvania. And we have more honor clubs. I think we've had, we've been an honor club, and to be an honor club in, in the Optimist, you have to meet certain criteria. One is membership. And of course, others is proje or projects. So they're doing great. They had me down for a cookout uh, Saturday night. I saw some of my old friends. Unfortunately, my wife didn't accompany me because I forgot her. And <laughs> you somehow, we, well, we had a miscommunication then. So, uh, but anyhow. I enjoyed meeting, there were a lot that I knew because time has its toll on friend members. So anyhow, uh, we enjoyed that. Uh, Friday they had a little session for me at Creed's, Jim Creed's. I knew Jim way back when he started with Blaine Scott in the Barons Inn. And uh, Bob Clifton arranged it, he's a former supervisor. And, one of my uh, friends that uh, I felt somewhat responsible for getting him involved in the township business. And I'd like to mention Barbara Fraley. Barbara and Ed lived over in Kingswood. And uh, since I was in the real estate business and they were looking for a home, every Sunday they would call me and want, to want me to take them around and show them houses. So finally, I got to the point where I would say, you go look at the houses, and if you find one <laughs> that you would like to buy, why, give me a call. <laughs> well, they finally, and believe it or not, we sold them the house on Lowell Terrace, and that's exactly where they're living now. Uh, they uh, have been there all these years on Lowell Terrace. And Barbara, I first talked her into running for Belmont Committeeman. And then before I left Belmont, uh, I left the town, I said, Barbara, you've got to get involved. We need you on the board. So, and one of the other gentlemen that I was uh, very proud of, uh, he just uh, died, Ted Lowe. Ted was in the, cha uh, in the Junior Chamber of Commerce, and when he got over age in grade, I said, Ted, you're just the kind of guy that we need in the Optimist. So he bit the bullet and joined the club, and from there on, things were not the same. Because Ted Lowe was a doer, and uh, he rose to even the state chairman of the Optimist. Great guy, and I was very, very uh, saddened when I heard about his demise. Yeah. Well, military, I spent 28 years in the Air Force, 
And uh, I was basically, in, uh, after the war, I was basically in the industrial side of the military. Uh, I uh, was responsible for the first Matador missile that uh, I was project officer. I did the buying. I bought about 400 of them, and we deployed them to Germany. And uh, I received the Legion of Merit for that exercise. Then I got, I got transferred from Dayton, Ohio. I went a year training with industry. And I was living in Dayton at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And uh, being transferred to Georgia, Lockheed, Georgia, I decided, of course, uh, this is the end. I sold my house, moved, went down there for a year. And lo and behold, when I got my orders, where did I go? Back to Dayton. One office from the office that I left. <laughs> and, and then I spent the next uh, three years with the Bomark Air Defense Missile. And then after that, I went to Washington, and I was in a troubleshooting organization there, going out and finding wherever there were problems. Uh, General Shriver, who was the head of the Systems Command, sent us out there and said, find out what the problem is. So we did that for, uh, I guess, until six, from 62 to 65, about three years. Then I got this big offer from GE saying, come up, we need your help. So I did, and I uh, was very happy. And that's but what brought you to Upper Marion. That's what brought me here, and of course, how I got from GE into the business world was an economic situation. They got their business went down. They didn't need high-priced people like myself. So, and I would like to mention too that uh, one of my best friends. I, I had lots of best friends, but Jack McAllister. Uh, I went in with him in John D. McAllister Real Estate, which later became Century Twenty One McAllister. But what a great band! He uh, he was a local citizen. Did a lot for the community, never asked for any favors, never asked for any help. And I appreciated my 10 or 12 years association with him. So 28 years in the military, Yeah. 12 years with McAllister. Mm -hmm. When did you ever stop working? In 1990. And that was how many years working? <laughs> well, I started, I guess, in 1937. So 37 to 90, you have to do the math. Like it's over 50 years. Yeah. And my years. wife says, I'd be working now if she'd let me. But uh, no, I, uh, I, I'm involved where I am now. I'm on the, uh, the precinct committee representative in Lake County, Florida, precinct 76. And we have only a small precinct for 300 and some people. But uh, I stay, keep the pot stirred, and uh, work in the elections. And I helped with Jeb Bush's re uh, first election. He lost by 60,000 votes. And the second one, we told him, you're going to win by more than 60, of which he did. And he's doing a great job. So as you can see, I'm a dyed-in-the-wool Republican and have been for all of my voting age. Well, I lived uh, on Anderson Road. 
And just as a little side, I understand now they're trying to put apartments where the old Belmont Swim Club used to be. Well, they tried that in 1968, and we got up a petition, and it all went away. <laughs> so here, from 68 until now, it's given rebirth, and I wouldn't be surprised to see some apartments over where the old Belmont Swim Club uh, when you drive around Upper Marion Township now, yeah. it must be changed dramatically since you first moved here over 40 years ago. Well, in the, in the uh, out of the business world, the couple things that have changed is the road improvements. You know, when we were here, there's no such thing. And, well, we did finally get right turn on red, but we had no left turn accommodations. You know, you stacked up. And uh, now there's hardly any blockage whatsoever. Of course, Allendale Road had just one track bridge and they were lined up from First Avenue all the way to 202 at lunchtime. Uh, 202 was fairly concentrated, but it moved. But the biggest thing that I see is the traffic improvement. It's hardly recognizable as to if you'd have had that growth, you'd have been inundated. And, and I want to just make a side point, I'm not getting away from your subject, because my, obviously my most important area was the township building because I was as close to a paid employee. In fact, they used to, the policemen and everybody else used to say, hey, he's part of the township here. The first year that I was on the board, I wrote 250 Robin Grams. A Robin Gram was on an issue that I saw that was needing correction or a direction we should go. And we'd put them in the Friday night packet to the supervisors. And Judy used to get so provoked with all those Robin Grams. Sometimes I'd have two or three in the packet, mostly on general s single subjects. Uh -huh. So, and Robin Grams for, for Robinson. Yeah, for Robinson, and my personal observations on a subject, and in some cases, recommendations. And a lot of them were accepted, a lot of them created consternation, uh, but uh, anyhow, they served a purpose. We didn't call them toxic waste at that time, we called them county dumps. <laughs> we had two of them over off of uh, Gulf Road. We had one that was 14 acres and one was 10. And we were constantly dealing with that problem, keeping them covered properly, uh, uh, maintenance of them, etc. So over the period of time, they decided they, that was not their future, the county's future. I don't know what their future is <laughs> now, but anyhow, we did continuously pursue, fill those up, cap them, and make green space. And I see that's been done now. Tyson's dump, very bad problem. Uh, I don't know whether you know the history of Tyson, but it's probably been told, and I don't have to tell you. But as environmental conditions became more popular, or environmental concerns, we obviously began to see that we had a real tiger by the tail. So in they began, we got on the national list, and they began to uh, bring people in and try to 
flush it out and I forget what they called it, uh, vacuum, I guess. Or, well, you know the history of that now, but uh, I think the people handled it quite well. We had a lot of good public relations from the environmental people that would come and, and brief the people. There were always a few that didn't believe that whatever, you know, that it was a, they, they thought it was a terrible hazardous site. Everybody in Belmont would develop cancer and pretty soon we'd be a disaster area. Nobody built here, nobody would buy here. And it turned out just the opposite. I think they've done an amazing job. What thing people don't realize is a situation like that, the corrective action is based on technology. And technology moves fast. <laughs> so fast that I can't even use the cell phone. <laughs> so no, it was a problem we dealt with all the time. Never was a serious problem later on. People begin to recognize that. They're now constructing an American Constitution uh, Center in downtown Philadelphia. And here will be a National Revolutionary War Museum expected to draw 50 million visitors a year. Yeah. yeah. Did you ever imagine that for Valley Forge Park? Not really. Not really. That always was sort of there. We knew it was there. We, we knew it was... a. a, a significant portion of it was in Upper Marion. Not very many people know that. They don't know. They think it's interdifferent or they think it's a part of Pennsylvania. But uh, we always recognize, and it's like anything else, if it doesn't cause you any problems, then it's sort of, you know, it's there and it's being used. My wife volunteered for 15 years out at the cabin where they sell Christmas decorations and, uh, and candy and all kinds. It's behind the, the church. And uh, she was enjoyed that part of her life. She still does, but we can't commute from Florida to <laughs> up here. No, that's a great adjunct, and I never anticipated it. Of course, you know, I was against the Philadelphia Convention Center. I didn't know that. Oh yeah, I was on I was on KYW uh, for when I was with the chamber, and uh, what we were doing was saying, "Hey, it's going to be uh, uh, what do you call it? A milestone around your millstone around your neck." And I see now they're looking for money. They can't pay their bills, and the one thing that we said back when they were providing, we're, we're talking about building is the unions are going to kill you. And it came true. Now, I guess they've resolved that issue from what I understand. They've got some kind of resolutions. But we wanted to go on record that we had a convention center out here. Use right. our convention center. That's right. But they went ahead, didn't take our advice. They went ahead and built that multi-millionaire, uh, million-dollar facility. I, th I think it's a well-balanced township. Your, your social activity with your parks and your uh, concerts here at the building and all of the things, the library. I can't imagine any township that can compete uh, in the modern world, can compete. I've seen a lot of them try and I've seen some make progress. But in my opinion, Upper Marion is a step ahead
and maintains that step. Uh, and you're fortunate to one uh, to be able to have uh, the, the location and the attractiveness that you do have. And I had uh, a couple things on that same subject. I don't know, you must have read my mind. But uh, I've often heard when I lived here complaints about traffic and growth. And I got a couple of comments on that, that, uh, that growth is not bad. Always sought if a community is to be a viable community. You show me a community that doesn't grow, and I'll show you a community that dies. There's no status quo in community development. It must be planned and administered efficiently. And we here in Upper Marin have done that. It's been planned and administered efficiently. The opposite of, of growth is decadence. And you don't have to go very far from here to observe that. I won't mention where it is, but it's not far, and it may be across the river. But anyhow, loss of property values and loss of business and development. Look around and you will find several examples of the lack of growth. And it was brought about with the lack of vision, the lack of direction, and the opposition of the people that live there that wanted to maintain the status quo. Now, I recently read, no, in the, uh, give you the status quo. Uh, had this place stopped growing with Valley Forge Homes and Brandywine Village, those people paid from eight to $15,000 for their house. Today, they're sitting on a property that's $200,000. Now, if that, isn't, if that isn't an economic asset, because you couldn't retire today and move someplace if you didn't have that, that asset. And I think people ought to sit back and relax and say, boy, I have done quite well, and I've been fortunate in living in a progressive township. Pennsylvania, as you know, the history of fire departments or local fire departments. Well, King of Prussia and Bridgeport and Swedesburg, and they were all local fire departments. And there's such pride in the local fire companies that without them, I don't know what we would do. They have their scrimmages occasionally and disagreements, etc. But People don't recognize that uh, five-minute response to a call for fire and the dedication and professionalism that they provide as a volunteer is another thing, another service and, uh, that is provided in a community such as this. And I've watched uh, uh, the King of Prussia Fire Company grow. I've watched uh, Swedesford grow. And I watch. I didn't watch the one burned down here at the substation. <laughs> on Bidler Road. Yeah, on Bidler Road. But, but anyhow, they've been very fortunate in getting the right leadership. Again, as I said before, you got to stay ahead of the growth curve. And uh, they've got equipment uh, that they've deeded. 
They've been a very, very near, little assistance from the township. And uh, by the way, uh, when Ralph and myself were on the board the first time, that was a subject we dealt with, the fire companies, and tried to, at, at one time, it appeared to us that there were three different fire companies, period. And there were always some inner fighting that was going on that was not to the best interest of the fire companies. So we created the fire board, and they had ran, began to develop their own structure, and each one of them had a participation and an, uh, an avenue by which they could resolve differences. And we think, I don't know whether it's still going on or not, but... The fire uh, board is, yes. The fire board was, uh, and, and we put a little, when uh, John Waters came, uh, he put a little bit more uh, organization to it and a little more communications. So they're very fortunate. They've kept up with the technology and the equipment. They've expanded their facilities. They've raised the revenue. And I don't know what more that you can expect. Now, a little bit about the ambulance. I was not in on the, the very early beginnings of the ambulance because it started in Kundasai building way down on 202 and ultimately evolved up to where the building is now. But I was uh, on that board and volunteered for about five years. My office was in the Valley Ford Shopping Center so, you know, I could respond rather quickly. And we had a young lady, Peggy, Peggy Krauss. I noticed when I drove around yesterday, her house is gone and there's a new houses there. But she was a real asset to the township and she was always on call for the ambulance. And Bob Enoch, uh, he's, I served on the board with him and uh, we used to have our board meetings every month. Uh, and uh, there's a couple names I wanted to mention, but they don't come to my mind right now. But uh, I, we've always, when I was on the board there, we always tried to keep the ambulances upgraded. A lot of people say, well, you only got 20,000 miles or 30,000 miles. Well, that's got nothing to do with the technology. You know, you don't hook a guy up to the exhaust pipe <laughs> to revive him, <laughs> you put him in the ambulance with the equipment that can save his life. So, uh, no, they, they, the, those two, and the cost, I don't know what the ambulance is today, but for $25 a year, uh, we would respond to anything. And, uh, you know, that was, your, that was your fee to belong to the ambulance, Lafayette Ambulance. And what a great, that all was brought on to all my township volunteers. Oh, that's great. Ed Kunda, I mean, uh, Kunda, Ted Kunda and his brothers, and uh, Walter Horax. I think it was Walter. I know there was a, we used to call him, I forget the name we call him. He's been gone a long time. Uki. Uki, Uki her. her Horax, H-O-R-R-A-C. Yeah, he was our sort of our head man for a long time, president of the board and so forth. So they were great guys. The sewer Authority. Yeah. That seems to have been a wonderful success over the years. Uh, can you give me some idea of how that came about? Well, 
the first thing that came about, of course, is uh, expansion. And the second thing with expansion is indebtedness. And who pays the freight? And you can't have the residents all paying the freight, the freight for growth. And I, I must admit that uh, I think the genesis of that UMSRA was with Ron, who sold it to the board. And then we, you know, said, hey, that's a great idea. And I, uh, I don't know whether the people know how it works or not, but the details are, if you want sewer, you can buy it, even whether you're going to use it or not. And if you don't use it, you can sell it. But anywhere you go, the township is still the benefactor of the money. So uh, it, it's worked great. In other words, if you come in and you're going to, they determine your flow, your estimated flow, they give you a bill, and you pay it. And uh, the residents have nothing to do with that at all. They're just the benefactor of uh, growth, and they're the benefactor of somebody paying the freight. Almost the same as the uh, traffic authority. Right. Uh, everybody said, oh, you know, uh, I, I, I don't think I have that, generate that many trips a day. You know, it's all based on trip generation, which is a national standard. Right. And one is residents, for example. When we first started it, it was 10 trips a day. You were based on, on a new resident. Well, we don't make 10 trips a day. I said, well, tell you what, for those of you that question that, you keep a little log for 30 days and see how many times you went in and out of that driveway. And I did it, and sometimes I'd go on 12 to 15 trips a day. And then you assess them on the basis of the trips or the use. Of course, a residential is 10 trips a day, a theater or a restaurant or something. It's a whole number standard. But that goes into the traffic fund. And that creates a bank account for doing things that are of, of a smaller scale. It, it has some limitations with respect to scope. But basically, it, uh, it's a bank account that you can say, okay, go over there and fix that road. And those funds are dedicated to Oh, yes. That's the only thing that could be used for. Yeah. That's yeah. sort of a, a system of the user paying. User pays. You know, it's the same old problem you have with schools. I don't have any kids in school. Why should I pay school tax? I hear that. Well, you had school children in school at one time. So you just, now you're subsidizing somebody else's. If only they were paying it, they probably couldn't afford to send their school kids there. Given your feeling that growth is absolutely imperative to be viable, how do you control and direct that growth? Well, I think you do it, one, with the services that you provide. Obviously, if you've got everything that somebody needs that wants to come here, then you control it by planning and zoning. And that's where the Board of Supervisors comes in. They look at it, look at the impact. The Planning Commission gives their ideas on what would happen and what wouldn't happen. And there's another big element of growth, and that is legislation, just like the golf course. You see, how do you control uh, growth? 
They've been trying to buy that golf course since, and develop it since 1956 or 57 in that period. Now everybody, is a resident or even anybody that doesn't have the profit motive as his total objective, would want to keep that land the way it is. It's a nice little barrier for all of the other growth in and around it. But one of these days, I don't know what the Supreme Court's going to say on it, but one of these days you could very well see buildings popping up there. So you control it, one, by the planning. Control it, two, by the, uh, uh, the attractiveness of it. Is there an economic viability kind of thing? And then the third, you, uh, the Board of Supervisors have got a big, big job. I made one mistake. I, I, I don't like to say I haven't made more, but while I was on the board, I made one mistake that I've always regretted. Two young builders came in. We had a place down on Golf Road and uh, where the, the um, uh, restaurant is down there. Savona, the restaurant? Yeah, Savona. I think down in, it was the Billings Estate. Big old house that Mr. Billings inherited from his mother. And he couldn't afford to live there. He didn't work, and he had all of this here. I guess there were five or six acres down there. And two young guys came in to develop it, and they wanted to put condos there. And they brought in the most sophisticated development plan that I had ever seen since I was on the board. And there was a couple people on the board I won't mention any names, that didn't want it developed. Plus there was a lot of citizens' resistance that they didn't want it. So we voted the first plan down, three to two. Sent them back to the drawing board. They came back with what they thought was the supervisor's instructions to change. And it was worse than the first plan. So we had a hearing, and we had citizens objecting and so forth. So when it came to vote, they started, unfortunately, and I don't know, I guess it was for my, for my destiny, I don't know, but they started on the right, went down, and I was the last one on the left. And it got to me, the vote was two to two. And I made a little speech because it was my last meeting. And I made a little speech, and I said, I may be doing this against my conscience, but there are a hundred residents out here objecting to this, and I'm supposed to represent the residents. Now, the first thing, the plan that we turned down the first time was a much better plan than this plan. And secondly, when I have a hundred and some residents here that are against it, and I represent the residents of voting against it. So it was disapproved. And it cost those poor, poor guys so much money. Ultimately, it's a nice development. 
And I don't know what plan they finished it with, but it's a much better, and it was inevitable that it was going to happen because that old house wasn't going to stay there. No air conditioning and not up to code and a lot of other things. Sure. So that was one vote that I wish I had never made. One of the other very controversial projects was right where I'm staying now in the Valley Ford Suites across from Allendale Road. You know, that was right. 40 acres of vacant land. And Guntram Weissenberg came in with a very viable plan because we needed that kind of accommodation for near-term uh, accommodations to people to move in while they were looking for houses, etc. And complimentary office buildings where you could walk from your apartment right to your job. I don't know how well that turned out, but the concept was great. And uh, there was a lot of objections, not nearly as much as I thought there would be from the uh, Lafayette Park people. But we approved that, and look what it's done. Of course, uh, you know. No, I can't remember. The, the only thing that, the only one that I remember that I was sorry about was the one I gave you at Golf Mills, the Billings Estate. Right. If I had that to do over again, I would have voted differently. I voted, and they couldn't understand because I voted for it the first time and against it the second time. But the plan was much worse, in my opinion. From where I sit, uh, parks and open space are two different things. Open space gives you breathing room. Parks gives you uh, an accommodation for recreation if you want to use it. And I was here many, as I say, 20-some years, and I saw parks that were not used. We had nuisance there. We had them tearing up equipment. We had them drinking and carousing in the park. So uh, I, uh, I have mixed emotions on parks. I'm great for open space, and Upper Marion has, what, 26%? Counting Valley Forge Park. Counting yes. Valley Forge Park, 26%. Most people have... 12, 15, no. And you, all you got to do is to look around. Now, most of your facilities that are utilized are generally associated with the schools, That's like right. your tennis courts and your ballparks and things like that. So, yeah. No, I'm not big on uh, I think there's a, a balance, but uh, I think you've got a good one here. Well, one of the things I was... <laughs> Uh, impressed by is what they've done at the Valley Forge Center. Okay. Uh, uh, in that area, I remember that what's Dallas Peppers was our bowling alley, and then a theater. The King and the Queen, right? No, the other one that was over. Yeah, was that the one where Peppers is now? I think that was the Queen. Well, or the King. I'm not sure. <laughs> no, that was the Queen. Oh, that was the yeah. Queen. The King was over by the beer place. Yeah. And uh, to see the train station, the McDonald's there, is that what that is, McDonald's now? Drive through right there on where the uh, Victoria where Station? used to be. Yeah. All of that area and, and that whole corner where the banks are and, uh, and the Lafayette ambulance and Wawa. <laughs> I thought they stuffed a lot of material in there, a lot of businesses in there. They did. Yeah. They did. And of course, I can't even comment on the 
shopping center that uh, King of Prussia. I mean the the mall. It gets bigger and bigger. Can't even uh, find my way around down there anymore. So, uh, and the hill up where GE was, it was all just big green space up in there. And now they got theaters and restaurants. Yeah. What about uh, Henderson Square? Henderson Square. Where the new Gennardi's is. Oh, yeah. We even patronized that the other night. We had to go in and get some milk and cereal. and Oh, that's terrific. And those apartments adjacent to, you know, that's all. And people have to realize that uh, when you have a square like that, Henderson Square and those apartments, that doesn't really add a lot to your traffic because they can walk right over or get right over there and do their shopping and get right back. Yeah. No, I think sometimes uh, people are more prone to look at it as an individual convenience or inconvenience growth. Oh, I think so. Than they are of saying, hey, it's the best for the overall group and there's it's protecting a, me. There's a word for that. It's called NIMBY. Yeah, not, not, in my, <laughs> not in my backyard. That's right. I show you how sometimes people don't see the big picture. Uh, when, the, when we first started the 202 expansion, we tried to get, well, first, we did get different half on board because some of it is, is in their township. But we tried to go down almost to Route 1 in the Westchester area to look at the big picture. And we'd identified it into 100, 200, 300, 400, this being the 400. Well, we knew five and six was going on up into Bucks County, but that we didn't take on that obligation any further than 400. And we tried to get the chambers, Westchester Chamber, and the government people, the supervisors and all that, to get them on board with us because we thought the more support we have, then the more viable the project would be. Well, they started pulling in the opposite direction. Oh, you'll never get that. Oh, that's awful. So we finally said, all right, we're concentrating on 400. That's our section. And I understand now the chamber and all down in Westchester <laughs> are pushing the pressure on them to get 200 and 100. Sure, because the traffic stacks up down yeah, there. That's and that's what we told them. We said, hey, you're going to be the victim of this. If we're going to funnel six lanes into four, you're going to have a terrible time. And one thing is, we're going to get that traffic out of King of Prussia. We're going to bypass it. So, Certainly get it out of the residential areas yeah. of, of mm -hmm. Upper Marion Township. So that was a... That was a little antidote for the for those chambers, and uh, they almost the same way on the TMAs. They said you'll never get one, and uh, then of course when they got one, they went crying that they had to have one Willow Grove, and sure. And uh, so I just gave uh, Judge Marushak, uh, he's a good friend of mine. He's within the Optimist Club. And I, I just gave him my book yesterday, personally, uh, on Churchill, Never Give In. That's the name of the book. And it's only a little flat one, about 80 or 90 pages. But there was a guy that never gave in. 
You know, he had so many ups and downs in his career. Well, I don't know how many people in the township are familiar with the mission statement. And I'd like just to read it and have people to think about it. It's posted here in the township building, but it's like everything else. When they come to pay their taxes, they don't see a mission statement. They see a tax bill. <laughs> they don't see what they're getting for their money. <laughs> to promote community vitality, economic prosperity, and cultural harmony, Upper Marion Township will provide services which are responsive to the health, safety, and general welfare and needs of the community. That says it all for Upper Marion. That says it all to the residents. And they ought to really read that periodically and say, hey, aren't we fortunate? And then lastly, the township government is dedicated to providing these services through efficient and effective use of the community's available resources in an honest, open, and caring manner. To me, that says it all. And any time that any of the citizens in, the, in Upper Marion Township want to express their opinions with how government is running, they ought to bring this card or bring this mission and say, here's what you aren't doing. And that is my message to the people of Upper Marion. Hunter, thank you very much. You're welcome. That's it for this edition of Remember When. I'm Ed Higgins, your host for this program of Upper Marion Township's Oral History. Thanks for watching. Until next time, and always, remember when.